like uh, Larry and uh, Lindsay said, my name is Mitchell Welch. Thanks for being here. I'm the lead pastor at Antioch. And you guys know how in the Bible sometimes when a guy would introduce himself, he would say, so-and-so, son of this person, son of that person. Well, this morning I get the honor to introduce myself as Mitchell Welch, son of Mark and Susan Welch on the front row. My parents are in the house. Let's go. <laughs> They'll be signing autographs after the service, just in the back. They'll tell you why I'm their favorite son. Anyways, so, but thanks for being here, Mom and Dad. I would not be here without you guys, and I mean that in a lot of ways. All right. Uh, all right, you guys ready to jump into the service? Here we go, or the message. So we are in, I don't even know, what is this, week like six of this series we've titled All, A-L-L, everybody say All. And there's three kind of sections to it. The first one was about the greatest commandment. Each of these sections have a word all in the main scripture. The first one was the greatest commandment where Jesus said, hey, this is the most important, the greatest thing of all is that you learn to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, your mind, and your strength. And so I spent about four weeks diving into that. And just want to encourage you, if you missed any of those messages, please go back and listen to those because, like, we can't, the great, think about this, it's the greatest. Jesus said it is the highest, it is the most important. We don't want to skim over that one. We want to dive deep into the greatest commandment, because Jesus said it's most important. Uh, but then last week, we kind of shifted gears into the second part, which is mainly about our love for one another, because if you remember, the first and greatest commandment also has a second part, where Jesus said, not only love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, but love your neighbor as yourself, Right? And I communicated last week that the first and, and second commandment are never meant to be separated. They're always meant to go together. Now, the first needs to be first, and the second needs to be second, because it will help our love towards each other be flowing out of God's true, genuine love. We want to love on God's terms and God's ways and how he defines it. We don't want to love just on our own terms. And when we get those two backwards, it's tempting to just love on our own way of doing things. Okay, so I unpacked that by really diving into not just love in general, because when we start hearing messages about loving one another, it's really easy to walk out of or listen to these sermons and think, okay, am I a loving person? All right, I'm going to try to leave here today and not be a jerk to my family or to whoever's serving me at lunch. Okay, I'm going to try to be kind. I'm going to try to be nice. But I tried to help you and help us remember that the context of these verses we're diving into it's really less about you as an individual person just generally being loving. This is about how we, as this body of Christ, express and share our love for one another. So like I had you do last week, I want you to look around this room. Go ahead, just turn your head and look around this room. See these faces right here. Okay, smile at somebody. Wink at them if you want. All right. Okay. Because the context of these passages we are looking at they are, and listen, guys, the entire Bible, listen, is not written to just individuals for you to go figure out how to live it out on your own. That is not how the Bible is written. The very main passage that I'll go into in Ephesians 4 is Paul as a father pouring out his soul to this local church community, teaching them how to love with all humility and gentleness, patience. I'm going to break, uh, break that down in a minute. And even in John, we went last week, we broke down John 13 through 17, which is just an amazing several chapters. It's leading up to just a few days before Jesus is crucified, and he is teaching so many things, imparting so many things to his disciples. And he is honing in on the need to make sure that they, as his followers, that would be leaders in his church, that would carry it for thousands of years, knew how to love each other. Look at John 13, 34. He says this. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. And he doesn't just keep it general. Look what he says. He gives us a standard for that love. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Woo! You think about how much Jesus loves us? You know, that's the standard that he is inviting us into. Now, is that possible in our own strength? Absolutely not. I mean, some of us, <laughs> maybe you've tried, but all of us will fall short when we try to love this way. But by the grace of God and by a community committed to leaning into this together, we can grow in loving each other in this church body like God or like Jesus loves us. And I framed the whole message last week by titling it, What Jesus Wanted. 
or what he envisioned. You ever think about that? What did he envision when he was dreaming about or thinking about his people, his church, loving each other? Here's a couple things I put on the screen last week. A couple things that it seems like he envisioned because he told us in the word of God. He envisioned close and loyal relationships. He um, envisioned a people committed to one another and they were being together. They were together often. He envisioned those that put others first. And he envisioned people that were determined to let nothing divide or sever long-lasting relationships. Pause for a second. Keep that up there. Okay, that's within the church. Now, if we were to evaluate what's normal, at least in the American church, the Western church, we don't necessarily see some of these things. We see things that are disconnected. We see relationships severing. We see church splits. It's just kind of normal. Here's a couple things that I'm going to specifically remind you of that I put up last week. These are the things that Jesus did not envision, okay? And unfortunately, too many of these things are true. That within the church walls, there are loose and disconnected relationships. People are individualistic and noncommittal. Those that put self at the center and are indifferent about the depth, quality, or the durations of those relationships. Now, as I've already mentioned, if we are going to try to embrace loving each other the way Jesus loved us, we have to acknowledge first that there are going to be times where we will fall short. Can anybody agree with me on that? <laughs> like, we are going to fall short. And so as I preach these messages about loving each other, I'm, I feel like I'm just exposed into the ways where I'm falling short. However, just because we have fallen short in the past, I just I don't want us to lean that way in the past. Let's lean in together by the grace of God, and let's commit to saying we're going to, by his grace, we're going to lean into loving each other this way and moving forward. I just dream about, like, you know, there's just so many babies that get born in this church all the time. I'm just dreaming about, like, not a single family that has a baby born doesn't have meals that come to them for at least two or three weeks straight because this church body is like, I'll sign up, I'll bring you a meal, bring you something. I have this dream of, like, if someone's raising support to be a missionary sent out from this house, that, man, they would get all their support from within this house. I dream of people moving. You know, all of you guys even move every other weekend, what it feels like. But anyways, <laughs> it's like never would someone have to move alone, and never would they not have someone's truck. All right, so if you have a truck, just there's a target on your back, okay? <laughs> you already knew that, but it's just true. Another thing I want to comment on about this as we're leaning into this together and just please, I just, it's so hard to um, skip over this because I, I mentioned last week, we are from a young age, we are entrenched in an individualistic mindset. You, you guys come in here, you hear messages and you're like, great, I am going to live this out. You know, it's like, and it's true, it's good. I want you to not just be hearers, but doers of the word, but it's really a better, more biblical approach is we are hearing this word, and how are we together going to live this out? That'd be a little bit more biblical, and you guys don't believe me because you're American. All right, so <laughs> moving on. I want to comment that it's impossible to live this way, that list of close and loyal, committed relations. It's actually impossible to live this way with everybody in this room, even a church this side. 175, 200 people. It's actually impossible. That's why we do life groups. It's because in a group of 15 to 30-ish people that are about you in your same stage, a lot of similarities, like you are more able to live this stuff out. Hey, why don't you put up that slide that has the five circles of a healthy church? I've been showing you guys this consistently on purpose, so I want this ingrained in our mind, but this is a really helpful kind of diagram that explains this is how we do church biblically and in a healthy way that's going to produce the most fruit in each of our lives and the most fruit corporately together okay we want to prioritize our personal time with jesus okay so we always encourage that hey spend time with jesus every day we want to do what uh, we call discipleship groups that's small groups of two or three of the same gender we're meeting together holding each other accountable about every week every other week just opening up our lives to each other we want to do house to house which is life groups okay so that's a group of about 20 or 30 or so people and then we want to have church here on Sundays, the church gathered together, but we also want to live on mission together. That's what we're all, the, kind of the, the thrust of World Mandate is, is how do we live on mission together? Okay, you guys tracking this? When we all embrace each of these things together, not just as individuals, the strength and the health of our church goes to the next level. So I want to encourage you to go, just to go all in. All right. Last but not least, before I get into Ephesians 4, actually go ahead and start turning there. Ephesians chapter 4, if you have a Bible, 
The last thing I want to comment on that really gets in the way of uh, us living this out is when we all feel the temptation to base our life on convenience. Everybody say convenience. Now, there's some uh, elements of our culture that make it easier to live by convenience, even the way that we do church. You know, this is open to the public. This is, we got a website, we got an Instagram. You can come into this service and then you can leave and it's just free. But um, after my message last week, I had a college student send me, um, or she came up and told me that I just went over some of this stuff and the difference between the way we do relationships in our culture and like the Chinese house church movement. And she sent me all these slides that this professor had uh, just taught. And I was like, wow, this is great. But I was just like thinking about, man, the contrast between the way that we do church here and what's normal and like the Chinese house church movement that's literally reaching millions. And they're like all willing to die for Jesus. You know, they're not just sitting in a comfortable chair, like agreeing that on paper I'm a Christian. It's like, uh, no, you know, I just I kind of wonder, like, would that be helpful for the church in America to have a little bit of a different context where it's less convenient to be a Christian? And I'm speaking to myself. It's like I just want the Lord to challenge me in this area because I, I am committed to him. He's the Lord. He's a savior. And this is a real faith. You know, this and eternity is real. If, if we're talking about a Christian faith that has nothing to do with the reality of Jesus coming back, establishing his kingdom forever, us getting resurrected bodies, and this is actually your reality, then we have totally two different faiths, <laughs> okay? And so, like, my hope is not in this world and how convenient life is, how comfortable it is, and if I get my way, no, my, and listen, all that I just said is a struggle for me, but my, my hope is in eternity, the reality of Jesus coming, him being a real man that walked the earth about 2,000 years ago, and a real man that's going to be on the earth soon. Th- this, if, we don't, if we're not tracking with this, then we have totally different faiths, okay? And I want to have a faith that's biblical. So that was not in my notes, but hopefully that was encouraging. All right. And I um, just think of, you know, that convenience word, and, and you know, it's like that, that mindset of only when I'm feeling good do I show up to church or show up to life group. I think of, like, a di- my dinner table example. If we're trying to model family. It's like if I only showed up to my kitchen table to have family with or to have dinner with my family only when I felt great and wasn't tired like <laughs> that would be very rare or if I only showed up to the kitchen table when I wasn't grumpy it's like well I, you know every other day it's like okay you know it's like uh, or when I'm even when I'm sick all right now think about this when you're trying to apply this to life group usually it's best not bring all your sick kids to life group but I'm just saying like if we're a committed relationships then we show up no matter how we feel. And we're there for each other because I'm committed to you. You're committed to me. All right. There's that. You guys good? So we don't want to base our life on convenience. Convenience, Amen? Okay. So Ephesians 4, you guys there? All right. So um, let me look at just the first few verses. And um, I'm literally going to preach this entire message on just one of these words. All right. So here we go. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. Uh, It says this, remember, this is Paul talking to a local church body. He says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Let's go back up to verse one. He's saying, hey, guys, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. I explained that phrase a little bit because the word worthy kind of trips us up a little bit. It's more of like, hey, I want you to live in a way that's fitting, that looks like you follow Jesus, or that looks like you've been called out of the world and you're living for another king. And then he begins to describe and use words that describe what that would look like, what would be fitting if we say we follow Jesus and have another king. And you know what's so crazy about all those words? Every single one of them cannot be applied if it's just you and Jesus. All of those words have to do with being in close relationship with other people. And I put up this phrase last week. I'll put it up again. It says this, you cannot walk worthy of your calling. We cannot walk worthy of our calling without being in deep and committed relationships within the local body. When we do, then we are able to practice true humility. If I only see you on Sundays, I can't practice genuine patience with you. Because literally the word patience means like long suffering, suffer long. I can suffer for an hour and a half being around you at church, okay? 
and you can suffer with me, okay? You can put up with me. That's what I mean, in a lighthearted way. But long suffering, patience, you know, it's like bearing with one another. Like that, that implies close-knit, loyal relationships. And that is what the Word of God says is how we walk worthy of our calling is being committed to one another. And that first word, humility, um, is more of like a wor- deep work in us that will flow out of us. But the next few words, like gentleness, patient, patience, bearing with one another, eager to maintain or to fight for unity, all that has to do kind of coming out of us to others, all right? But here is where I'm going to just focus the rest of our time, and it's that very first word and where it describes how to walk worthy of our calling, and it says, with all humility. Everybody say humility. humility. So in the, in the context of what I shared last week, it's like, hey, this is what Jesus wanted. This week is how he gets it, and the way he gets it, humility. If we embrace humility, this is the first thing, this is the key that would unlock us even being able to love each other the way that Jesus loves us. All right? Everybody say one more time. Say humility. Humility. Why don't you turn to your neighbor, and I want you to ask him, what would it look like for someone to be humble? Ready, set, go. Turn to your neighbor. What would it look like for someone to be humble? Ready, go. All right, all right, all right. Some of you guys can preach this message, it sounds like. All right, all right. I'm glad I'm making you do that, making you think, all right? Now you're going to evaluate what that person said with my message. All right, that's going to be funny. (laughs) Honestly, guys, here's the deal. Humility is like one of the worst topics to preach on. And let me explain. James 3.1 says, let not many of you become teachers because you will be judged more strictly. Anybody want to be a pastor? It's like, don't just be eager to jump into teaching somebody how to be humble because you're going to be judged more strictly. So this is the worst, guys. So pray for me this week. Um, I'll be tested plenty of times. But I am excited to, to talk about it because I know that this, if we embrace, continue to embrace, you know, leaning into this is what I'm explaining. We're not perfect, but if we're, we're committed to even when we do mess up and when we do fail, when we do fall short, that we're getting back up and we're leaning into this, like this will be a game changer, a key that unlocks genuine and deep love that we can share in this church body. All right. So let me give you this Greek word that um, the word humility um, is used here in Ephesians 4. I'm going to try to pronounce it. It's up here on the screen. You can kind of try if you want to, but it's, you see how long that, work it, that word is? It's like humility is so complicated. Even the Greek knows it's just complicated. All right, you ready? I think it's pronounced tapai nafrasune. Wow. All right, I literally listened to the recording of that multiple times, <laughs> and I wrote it out in my own way. Tapai nafrasune means having a humble or modest, lowly opinion of oneself. It's a deep sense of one's moral littleness. And kind of the word picture that goes along with this is like someone with their face to the ground. They're just going, they're just going low, as low as they can physically. And when we think about humility towards God, hopefully some of this resonates with at least your heart wanting this. But I have to be honest with you. The context of this passage we're looking at is not humility towards God. Of course we want that. But it's talking about a deep sense of humility toward one another. The posture of my heart towards you needs to be face down on the ground. It's like, hey, you, just you. You you, you get your way in a sense. You, I honor you. I exalt you. You're in a sense above me. And here's what humility does not mean. It's not self-degrading. It's not putting yourself down. It's not thinking that you're horrible. That's not what humility is. C.S. Lewis said, it's not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Selah. (laughs) You have to think about that for a second. C.S. Lewis, you know, he's like old. old. Anyway, it's old English. I know he's dead, but I'm just saying that is old English. So it's not thinking less of yourself, like, look, I'm so horrible. It's thinking of yourself, let me say it this way, less often. Now, if we're looking for an example of humility, obviously we look no further than Jesus. And what's so crazy about 
Jesus and even the definition of humility here, applying it to his life, is he was perfectly morally upright. He has the highest name. He is God in flesh. No name above his name. He is highly exalted through all. But if you look at the way that he lived his life, oh, my goodness, such humility. And to me, that actually gives me hope because I am not like Jesus, okay? And so I don't have this stature, this standing. I am small, one of billions of people that have lived the earth. And it actually helps me be like, okay, he was perfect in all of his ways. He had every right to not live this way, yet he lived this way. So by his spirit in me, because I am not like him, it's, it's wow, okay, Lord, and I'm going to embrace this too by your grace. It gives me hope that he will empower me to live this out. I also, I've already said this, but I just love that this is first in the list in Ephesians 4, because I think that without this, we can't be patient with one another. We can't bear with one another. We give up too easily when we're operating in pride and selfishness and self-centeredness. Now, to embrace humility, there are three things that we must constantly do, and this is how I'll kind of make it practical for us. It's also a way I'm going to keep unpacking what humility can look like and what it means. But it'll be on the screen. To embrace humility, we must constantly do three things. One, reject pride. Two, put others first. And three, let down our walls. Now, all of these three things, I'll explain them, but each of these three things have a couple different reasons why we are hesitant to do them. And I'll explain as I'm breaking each of these three things down. It's often lies or fears that get in the way of us embracing these three things. All right? So number one, reject pride. You guys ready? All right. Who likes pride? Good. I was wondering how you're going to respond to that. Right. Okay, we don't want to like it. We don't like it. It's, we know it's bad. We know scriptures like this one, 1 Peter 5. And, again, this is amazing because every, almost every single one of these passages is in the context of how a local church is supposed to operate together, this gathering of believers. It says this, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Man, that has been so helpful for me over the years, that little phrase. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Because I think about my relationship with God, I think about our church and our relationship with God. I do not want God to oppose me. (laughs) I want him to be on my side. I do not want, let me think about the context of this church. It's like I don't want God to oppose us. I want and we need his grace poured out over and over and over again. And there's the key is when we posture ourselves in a posture of humility. Let me give you a definition of pride, another Greek word that's used here. And um, it's, uh, it's pronounced hyperephanos, something like that. And it's showing oneself above others, having an overconfident view of one's means or merits. It's despising others and treating them with contempt. Treat with contempt means disregard, you know, other people and what should be taken into consideration. And it's just, this is difficult. Um, it's just looking into these words, thinking about the ways that I disregard people or things or the way that I interact with my children sometimes, the way I interact with my wife sometimes. It's like, oh, my gosh, Lord, help me. And as I continue to go through this message, honestly, this is the takeaway from today. Ready? Is all of you walking out of here saying, Lord, help me. Okay? That's your takeaway. Help me. Okay? But hopefully the Lord will give you some more specifics. Okay? The reasons why we might um, kind of resist um, or not want to reject pride, there's kind of a Two, I want to highlight. One is we are sometimes afraid to admit when we are prideful. Okay? Probably because we know those verses of how bad it is to God. Okay? We're afraid to admit it. But number two, this is even more scary, is we are often blinded to our own pride. Pride has this interesting way of hiding itself and blinding us to it. Okay, you want to know something that's good news? There is someone that's really good at healing the blind. Jesus, he can heal us, amen, from our blindness. And literally, that's my prayer this morning as I'm reading back over this. And there's a resource I'm be- we're about to pass out to you guys. Actually, why don't you go ahead and get that ready. Um, and I'm just like, Lord, open my eyes, unblind me. I don't want to walk in pride. And here's what we're going to do. Go ahead, Larry. Um, there's a few guys that are going to start passing out this resource. Um, it's very um, thorough. Everyone will get a hard copy of this on purpose because I want you to like just have it in your hands. You can, we're going to use it later on at the end of the sermon to kind of glance over this. So yeah, I think you're just like taking one and passing it down your, your row there. 
Um, but I was, uh, I think this would be super helpful because this is really taken from a teaching about um, brokenness and humility, which is a little line from one of the Psalms, I think Psalm 51. It's like, what does God delight in? A broken and a contrite heart or a humble heart. And it breaks down the difference um, with very specific and very convicting phrases. On the left side, it has, you know, the way that proud or unbroken people would operate or think or feel. And the right side has a better description of how someone that embraces humility and brokenness would think and feel and operate. Now, I, <laughs> are you okay? in just a second, I'm about to have you flip this up uh, back, but I do want to comment on a couple things. One is, I was going through this again this morning, not to preach it to you guys, but I was like, Lord, start with me. And I'm like going line by line by line. And there's like 38 lines on here. And I got to like 10 and I was like, Lord, I can't handle anymore. <laughs> help me. Help me. I'm like hands in my face. God, I see that in my life. Sometimes I see that in my life. Oh, God, have mercy. But hey, if you're willing to go there, the Lord will help you and he will meet with you. And he's so gracious to us. And and um, let me explain that for a second. Go ahead and turn this page over. I see all you distracted now. Here, turn it over. I want to give it to you now so you have context for this page, okay? Turn it over, turn it over. Bring it back my teacher days. Turn the paper over. You can put your name and date on it later. All right. Um, I just mentioned that, f- that verse, he opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. If you're looking at something like this and you're like, oh, my gosh, I see a lot of these things in my life. Honestly, that is a sign of humility. If you're looking at this list and saying, nope, 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 don't struggle with that, don't struggle with that, be warned. (laughs) I've said it this way over the years. The message on humility is received by the humble. So if you know and you feel this resistance and you get prayer for deliverance from a spirit of pride, it will destroy your life and those around you. So we'll have time to look over that more in depth. Um, at the end of the service, but brace yourself, it's intense. All right, let's go to number two, put others first. Everybody say, put others first. Okay, some of you are familiar with this verse, Philippians 2, 3, and 4. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Everybody say, humility. Count others more significant than yourselves, that each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. I mentioned this already earlier, just thinking about putting others' needs or wants above our own, putting that in the context of life group and even just helping people in relationships in my life group. It's like, man, someone's reaching out for help. Or, um, you know, if I'm, if I'm thinking about how I feel first when I am asked for something or when a need arises, if my first thought is, you know, do I want to do that? How do I feel you know, if I'm putting myself first, then oftentimes I will miss out on opportunities to serve. But when I'm thinking about it differently and putting someone else first, oh, they just had a baby. They're more tired than I am. They'd probably love not to cook. I, yeah, I could probably bring them a meal. And I'm just giving that as an example because it really affects our decision making when we're, ha- like, how we think and who's first in our thoughts. And every single one of us, including myself, We'll lean towards thinking about ourselves first. But by the grace of God, let's, let's look at this scripture and let's say, Lord, help us. And Lord, help me think first and let that be my filter. Putting others first is my filter by which I make decisions on how I'm going to act or how I'm speaking. Now, let me make one more comment about putting others first before I move on. Is don't think just, like my example, don't just think in your actions, put others first, or in your words, but in your heart. And in your mind, putting others first. Because honestly, that is how God sees it anyways. Hebrews 4, 13 says, No creature is hidden from God's sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. I was talking to my boys about this verse a couple days ago. One, they thought it's funny because it has the word naked in it. But number two, we're talking about why, why we don't lie. You know, why we don't hide things. It's like, well, you know, even if nobody finds out, like the eyes of the Lord are on us, and he's the one we're living for anyways. So applying this to putting others first, it's like, Lord, make it real in my heart and my mind. You know, that's some of the reasons why we might not put others first. One, we don't think it really matters. No one knows. 
Um, but then another lie that I want you to think about for a second is if I put others first, then I won't have enough myself or my needs won't get taken care of. I don't know about you guys, but I still have yet to find anybody that embraces wholehearted serving of others that constantly walks around as if they have nothing and they're so depleted. What I see is joy. What I see is fulfillment. What I see is excitement that they get to bless somebody else and God is faithful to meet their needs. That's what I've seen over the years. And I just want to encourage us to trust God that when we do put others first, he will take care of our needs. Amen. All right, last but not least, then we're going to have the joy of hearing a couple testimonies in a minute. If we want to embrace humility, we will need to constantly let down our walls. Everybody say, let down our walls. <coughs> okay, a prideful person would just puts up a bunch of walls. So what do I mean by letting them down? It means like a, vulner- a, a humble person would be vulnerable. They'd be open with their lives. They'd be honest. They would confess temptations or sins or struggles. They would share their needs and their weaknesses. Instead of, hey, I got this. I don't need your help. All my issues are just personal. Just, hey, everything's okay. Just put up this wall that everything's okay and I don't need help. And we don't want to embrace that kind of living. Even just like the, the walls or kind of the mask that we put on, like even pretending like everything's okay. I just think of the silly example of the lie that many of us say every single day. When someone asks you, how are you? You say, good. <laughs> okay, mm, I don't know, uh, but I'm guessing that more than just me struggle with lying sometimes by that answer. Okay. And hey, here's the reality of why we might want to put up walls, or the reasons why. One, we, there's the reality that we know it's not always pretty inside, and so we don't know if somebody wants to get in there or not. Okay. Number two, and I want this to land as well, is the fear of rejection. The fear, if I am fully myself, will I be received? And that fear of rejection is huge. For this generation in particular, but for all of us, there's a measure that we, um, that we carry. And guys, this has been so huge and so freeing for me over the last few years as I've just ha- asked the Lord to break down walls and help me be, be more honest with people and let people into my life. It's been so freeing because what we're doing when we put up walls is we're trying to protect ourselves, right? We're trying to protect ourselves or our image. But really what we're doing is we're hurting ourselves and we're presenting a false self is what some authors will say it well guess what guys the real you and how you're really doing is loved and accepted by god that is great news but the next level of that news you ready is the real you and how you're really doing is loved and accepted by the people of god you know and if they don't love and accept you then it's like they're they're probably not part of the fold of the people of god so if someone is rejecting it like doesn't matter because the people that have the love of god inside them will love and accept you no matter where you're at in your journey. And you can break off these lies and these fears of being rejected by simply being honest every time someone asks you. There's a few people that I just know and they, like, you know, there's a few people that ask you, hey, how you doing? But they're kind of like on the go and you know you don't need to give a real answer, but there's some people that they just stare you in your soul. How you doing? How you really doing, Mitchell? <laughs> like, oh, I can't escape. You already see how I'm doing. Anyways. And uh, I actually love it. I appreciate it. Because it shows genuine care and concern, and it gives me an opportunity to answer honestly. Okay? And now, listen, doesn't mean that every time you say, hey, I'm actually not doing that good. doesn't mean that everything has to stop, and you have to tend to your heart right there and there and do prayer ministry and all these things. It's like, it just means, like, hey, I'm not doing well. Let's, maybe let's talk a little bit later. All right? Now, band, you guys go ahead and uh, come on up. But um, a couple of things that is so cool about being real and being honest, letting down our walls, is that, and this hopefully will be really encouraging to you guys, you will realize the more open and honest you are about how you're really doing, that you are not alone in your struggles. So many times I will share a weakness, something I'm struggling with, and the person responding or the group of guys responding says, I totally understand. <laughs> yes, I was dealing with that same thing the other day. Or, oh, yeah, I know. And hopefully you would feel that from others as the more and more you're open, you're real, you're honest, and you let down those walls. Now, here's what's crazy is that the application of this humility message um, (laughs) would be hard in a perfect community. But the call of Scripture is to live out this humility message in an imperfect community. 
Like I mentioned earlier, we're going to fall short, but let's make sure we know, you know, which way are we falling? Are we falling away from living the way that Jesus wants us to live and the way that we love each other, close, loyal relationships, embracing humility? Or are we falling and saying, I'm going to give up because this is too hard? And with that last one of letting down our walls, there's really nothing, I would say, that's more difficult to resist putting up a wall than when someone hurts you and offends you, especially within the church, which is the context of this message. There's something about that that just makes us feel like this should never happen, and it makes us put up a wall. But you know what's so crazy, guys? All of us have been hurt by somebody in the church. Did you know that? And it's because the church is full of humans. (laughs) Messed up, broken, weak humans. But we want to make sure that we're responding to that hurt rightly and not embracing an unbiblical lifestyle just because we've been hurt, but we're leaning in together to get healing from Jesus, and we're still committing to not putting up walls but embracing community. And to close out, I'm going to have two folks come up and share a testimony of walking through some pain within the church but they're still here today, giving themselves, opening up their heart, letting down their walls. So I'm going to have Andrew and Melissa. Why don't you all come on up here. Give it up for Andrew and Melissa real quick. And like I said, they're going to share, um, come on on this side, um, just parts of their journeys. They've been in part of multiple different communities over the years and different cities they've lived in. And um, it's just just hone in to what they're saying. They experience real pain, but they're, they're here today committed to another church body. And they're like, they're saying, I'm not afraid. Even if I get hurt again, I'm still here. I'm still leaning in to this and letting down my walls. So you guys go ahead and testify. I'll probably get emotional. So heads up. Uh, my name's Andrew. How's it going, guys? Um, fun thing about this testimony is all three of us went to this same church um, so this is really fun, and I've known Melissa for like 20 years, guys. She's like my big sister I've never had in life. So um, this church experience was like one of my first real church experiences. Started when I was like nine all the way until uh, sophomore in high school. So my main formative years, um, there's a lot of layers to this, but my parents and I were super involved in this church Uh, Sundays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, um, nights, just we were so involved in this church, we we gave like everything we had to this church, and um, started out really well over the first few years or so, and then it was getting to like year seven, eight, nine, it was like, hold on a second, what these people are saying is not biblically sound, like whatever is coming up, uh, pastor would say from the stage stuff that was like, hold up a second, that doesn't sound biblical, that doesn't sound right. So when we would bring these concerns up to the pastor, um, he was like, oh, that's, you're, you're like not allowed to bring up these concerns that you're having. It's like it's unbiblical, like you're, you bring up a concern is actually not true and not biblical and we we're kind of sideswiped in a lot of different ways. So finally, we end up leaving this church And when we left this church, I mean, people who were like our people closest to us never talked to us again. And never talked to us again. Um, We were like shunned. Like we were told that we were not allowed to be talked to anymore. And uh, it was deeply painful for my family, deeply painful for uh, me. Uh, It was really close friends with the pastor's son and never heard from him again. And um, as well as, uh, as that, at different times uh, throughout the nine years, uh, we were told things about people that had left previously and come to find out none of those things were true that they had told us. So very manipulative, very just told us a lot of unbiblical things. And yeah, it was really hard. Um, so walls definitely go up whenever you're in your next church experience and you're like, I don't know if I can trust pastoral leadership. I don't know if I can trust the person that's next to me to stay here if I open up and share something. Are they going to use it against me? Um, All those things. So it really took encounters with Jesus (laughs) to uh, really let my walls down. And one time 
Um, this was actually sophomore year of college. Uh, I went on a trip called Awaken, and for all of you Aggie people in the room, that is Revive. Um, anyways, it's a spring trip mission trip, and I went, and we went to a local church that was there, and um, one of, like, the pastor of that church uh, was one of the main youth group leaders that was incredibly just, it was a painful relationship, and he steps up on stage, and I'm like, hold up. This, this guy sh- should not be here. What's going on? S- immediately start freaking out. And the guy starts preaching the gospel in its true form, not what I had previously heard him speak and talk on of like, you got to get your act together, you got to do better, all this stuff. But he preached the gospel in its purest form. I start weeping uncontrollably in this, <laughs> in this, uh, in this movie theater like, I'm trying to hold it in as this guy is sitting there preaching all of this. And I'm like, people can change. People can be different than what I saw them in. And um, so it took that in, I, I mean, like I said, I'm in this, this movie theater, like, just trying to hold all of it in while the people next to me are probably like, this dude's. Anyways, but that kept me on a journey of opening up and saying, like, all right. Like, I still got a lot of pain in this. I need people. I need friends. I need community that's going to love me through this. And it was only people loving me through it and asking me how I was doing. I went to therapy, um, <laughs> all the above. And even when I was in Houston for a few years after, after college, I made it a point to whenever I drove past that church, Jesus, would you bless that pastor? Jesus, would you give them grace? Jesus, would you? Because that's really where the heart change comes, is when you start praying for people that hurt you, you really put yourself in a position and say, wait, I also wronged them in a different way. Or, wait, hold on. Like, there's a, there's a two-way street here. Um, and I would just as well say that... Um, the cost, so the reason why I keep opening myself up to community in a really, you know, there's still areas where I'm insecure, there's still areas where, like, it's hard for me to open up on things, but the cost of not doing that is too high in comparison with living in freedom in Christ. So, like, the cost of, I've got to hold back, um, the cost of, of just staying inside and allowing um, hurt and bitterness, it will kill you. Like, bitterness will kill you, and maybe, you know, it doesn't kill you physically, but it will definitely harm you internally. And I've just sadly seen over the years, because of this church experience, people do not follow Jesus anymore and have had harmful divorces and just different things. And it just hurts to see. And, um, you know, it's just bitterness will, will keep you. Uh, keep you there. Uh, so I also wanted to honor Mitchell because the first time he talked about this on a stage, I was kind of around where Luke was, Luke Garwood sitting over there, maybe a little bit behind. I was just like, when he was sitting there just saying like, hey, I, like I prayed, like God, I will not, I will forgive these people. And I as well just like cried my eyes out because I was like, I've seen people take the other side, guys. And it's not, it, it's not worth it. It's not worth holding on. It's not worth holding on to the pain. It's not wor- worth holding on to bitterness um, because it will take you down a road you do not want to go. Um, so that is, my, that is my testimony. Thanks, man. Thank you. It's great. Just before Melissa shares, just um, thank you, Andrew, for being open, honest, vulnerable with us. It's so helpful just to have someone say, here's, here's what's going on. But also, you know, I don't know what Melissa's about to share, but, you know, this is just a great setup for next week. Uh, I'm going to be unpacking um, how do we maintain these types of, you know, walls down, and it's through forgiveness. How do we respond to pain? It's through forgiveness. It's the only way. And so um, I'm glad that you were mentioning that. So, Melissa, wrap us up here. Hi. Um, so when Mitchell asked me to share a testimony, it made me reflect on this, and the Lord showed me something new, too. Um, But I grew up in the church, and so we went to a lot of different churches, and um, one specifically um, 
my parents served deeply in the church and then were, um, I was in a service where from the pulpit they were um, completely torn down um, and called things that they weren't. I'm sitting there like, I'm their daughter, <laughs> like I know this isn't true. Um, and so our family walked through a lot of hurt in that season and then we ended up in another church that seemed good and we were like, okay, let's dive back in and my parents dive back into leadership. and um, But I started to see, I think I was, I was high school, in high school, and it was like I started to see just such hypocrisy and such elitism and it's like if you didn't fit a mold then like you weren't good enough and I didn't fit the mold of youth leadership I guess I don't know I didn't have the right look or the right talk or whatever and um it was a lot of pressure of like are you going to your school have you invited three people have you talked to anyone have you and it wasn't like this out of a heart of gospel I'm like dude I'm just trying to figure out being discipled myself like I don't know how to talk to people I don't know like I love Jesus and I pray with my friends, but I don't know what's expected of me. Um, and so just this idea that, like, I wasn't good enough. And then when I would share things and be vulnerable, like, it was um, used against me. Um, and then I just realized, like, I just started to hide, um, like Mitchell was saying, a mask. Like, I had a different personality than if anyone knows me now. I'm not, like, a super bubbly person, but if you had met me in high school, you wouldn't recognize me. Um, but it was all fake. Like, it was keeping people at arm's length. And in this uh, last church we were at before I left for college, um, the biggest hurt was, like, from my little sister um, because she was so blinded. Um, she was higher up in leadership, and um, it caused a lot of hurt with between her and my parents, between us. We're best friends, and um, her and her husband have now walked through a long journey of healing for the things they did to other people and the things that they said and the rejection that came. And so it really hurt. So I just found that, like, almost Mitchell said this in to this morning, I was just like, me and Jesus got this. Like, I didn't leave Jesus. I didn't even leave the church. Like, I was still committed, but I was kind of like, the deep stuff, like, God is big enough. Like, I don't need other people. And so I just started to put those walls up. But I don't think I would even have thought that I had walls um, until I went to college and, like, there was – this one girl in particular who is like one of those people who looks at you and sees your soul and like she didn't let you get away with just being like I'm good she would just like kind of sit there in like really awkward silence until like you felt compelled to like spill your whole <laughs> life story and I got around these girls in college and I was like oh my gosh like I don't want to do this I don't know how to do this and really it came down to like forgiveness of just like where was I holding unforgiveness towards people or towards, like, this idea of the church at large? Like, um, where was I holding them at the standard of being perfect when they weren't? And on that journey, the Lord just took me into, like, making friendships of girls who, like, literally ask, like, not confess your sin because that uh, another church was saying that, but then they would use that against you. So who wants to confess their sin? And then, like, someone brings that up, like, that was said in confidence and in like sharing and wanting prayer for and then like all these other people know um and so it was the first time where I healthy saw like confessing to one another and bearing each other's burdens and then um I think it just started a process of like crying in front of people again like I had stopped crying like just had lost that vulnerability and now I cry all the time but like um but it just it's really it's a testimony to the Lord's work like just stepping out and saying, okay, so every time Steve and I would move, which was basically every two years, it was like, I know we'll only be here two years, but, like, if I don't dive in right away, I won't. And, like, we need people, and there's beauty and dependency, and, like, our culture is so good at making it easy for us to isolate because independence is idolized, but dependency is, like, the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. They're all dependent on each other. And, um, like, I just say like the biggest breakthrough of sin addictions came because of being with people there had been enough times where I was like god I just need breakthrough and then it's like it happens again god I just need breakthrough and it just like there wasn't breakthrough until I went and surrounded myself around people and was like this is what I need breakthrough and it was like all of a sudden that's when breakthrough started coming and freedom started coming and so like my challenge to like our body is if you feel yourself kind of like well I don't want to go too deep 
And like you don't, you can be an open book, but be vulnerable with certain people. Like I have two people for sure I know in this room outside of my husband that I literally texted this week of like something I needed to confess, but I don't need to say that to all of you. Um, and so like being vulnerable with people. And if you find yourself like shying away from that, first ask, who am I holding unforgiveness against? And like allow the Lord to heal that. And then just ask him like, where can I be vulnerable? What's one person I can be vulnerable with? And if you feel like you're embracing vulnerability and you're creating that in community, remember that like you could be creating the environment that like Andrew is saying that is like allowing someone else to be vulnerable. And you can be like the avenue God uses for healing in their life because of hurt. And so that's my challenge. Good up for Melissa. Thank you so much. It's great. Well, hey, let's personally respond here. So if you've got a, a journal, keep that out. If you've got your phone, want to pull up your notes app real quick. We always like to close out the service just with the time to personally respond to the Lord. And again, thank you all so much, Andrew and Melissa, for sharing. It's just a pretty vulnerable place to come up here and share some of their journey. So thank you guys so much. And I really hope it was helpful for all of us to hear that but also to see them, hey, leaning in again, leaning in again to another imperfect community where there will be some pain, some offenses, but like, man, when we work through this together, we are leaning into God's way of doing life and relationships and loving each other. So there will be a few prompts up here on the screen of how you can respond, and um, we'll give you several minutes to do that. This is where you can pull up that resource again about the um, pride and humility little chart, so go ahead and pull that out if you want. It's kind of like the first prompt on there and glance through this, but then also uh, one comment on that last question that you'll see on the screen, is there any relational hurt or pain that I need healing in? Like I said, next week we'll be talking about forgiveness, but before we can fully forgive, we need to receive healing from Jesus, and I uh, just want you to be able to be real on, on that one. It's not just within the church, but just any other you know, unhealed pain that you have not brought before the Lord will be a hindrance in us walking out this humble road, but also this uh, relational road where we have deep relationships with one another. So let me pray for us, and um, y'all take a few minutes to respond, and then the band will lead us in the song. So Lord, we just ask you to come and speak to us as we respond to you. Thank you for these testimonies. Thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that this would just sink really deep in us this morning. In Jesus' name.